Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lemke. I have with me today, JJ Ducart and Ben Rising. Uh, some very exciting news here at the Deer Society for you guys that have been following us uh, or following the Deer Society now for a while. You know that we try to work with some of the best deer hunters nationwide try to work with a lot of people who bring a different perspective and can give you valuable information to go out there and be a better hunter yourself. We're very selective in in who we work with, and we're excited to bring you our newest contributor and team member from Whitetail Edge, Mr. Ben Rising. How you doing, Ben? I'm good. How are you guys today? Doing excellent. Thanks for joining us. You know, it's an exciting time of year. We're all getting geared up for whitetail season. It's it's quickly, quickly approaching here. You know, all of us are seeing bucks starting to grow and getting trail cameras out and and, and some different things. So it's an exciting time of year. And we're going to talk a lot about, uh, you know, some of your tactics, especially now what you're doing to prepare for the season and, and your tactics on really approaching some of those big mature whitetails that, that you're, you've, you're known to have taken. Um, but let's start out with just a little bit of history on you. Tell us about what you do and and uh, and how you got started doing it. Um, well, you know, a lot of people that follow me know a lot of this and they've heard some podcasts, but you know, I'm a resident of Ohio. I've lived there my whole life. Um, I'm a timber buyer, logger by trade, you know, I've cut timber since I was 16, 17 years old. I've always been in the woods. That's just, you know, my history as a woodsman, you know, and, um, trapping, you know, I grew up trapping, you know, fishing, hunting, really got into the deer hunting around the age of 13. And then I killed my first year at the age of 13 and really started taking to the archery, you know, like when I was around 15, 14, 15 years old, just really fell in love with it and haven't put a bow down since, you know, and, uh, my wife is actually the one that got me into filming deer hunts for the juries years ago, uh, bought me a jury DVD for, or a jury VCR tape. Cause that's how far back this was. And, uh, I just fell in love with the juries and you know, finally got to meet them guys at a show. I think it was 1998 that she bought me the the video. And then in 2001, I actually started filming for the juries. And I filmed for them for 13 years. Good, wow. re- good relationship with those guys. Some of the best deer hunters on the planet and very knowledgeable. Um, learned a lot from them. And they also kind of helped mold me to who I am, you know, as far as in the deer world. I mean, the knowledge and stuff that I guess on how to spin the knowledge. I mean, like you, you teach yourself a lot of things, but I learned a lot from those guys, but um, just being able to take that knowledge and be able to portray it to people that also want to know or learn from you. I think that's, I learned a lot of that from Mark and Terry, you know, and they've been gracious enough to, you know, they were okay with me leaving and, you know, think they understand that some people just want to do something different once in a while. And so here I am doing this and, it's kind of exciting to be a part of something new here with Deer Society. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're elated to have you. And, you know, filming over the past couple of days has been awesome. And, and we've all learned a ton. And that's the beauty of it. You know, we, we talk to and try to bring all you guys listening valuable information. But no matter how you spin it, you can always gain more knowledge and always gain a different perspective, you know, and that, and we've gained that. I personally have gained that over the last couple of days and, you know, now we'll be able to take that and spin it and use it and use it in our own way. So that's, that's super exciting. And, and, you know, you have your own platform, Whitetail Edge. Um, tell me a little bit about Whitetail Edge. Uh, you know, you do a lot of educational things too. And that, and that's why yeah. this is a really great fit, I think. Yep. Our show, Whitetail Edge, I started it in 2015 and it's just it's a web show you know it's a web-based show you know shows uh we're starting this year on the mossy oak go app um because you know we feel that and and the whole reason behind mossy oak go is because you know let's just speak candidly here the liberals want to take our rights away as hunters and things like that so the you know the facebook platforms the youtube platforms things like that could go away at any time and so we're trying to stick with some platforms to show our show that aren't going to take that away from us. You know, they're still good. Our show still airs in those platforms for now. You know, we all have to use those social media platforms still uh, for sponsorships and things to show analytics. But I think it's important that as hunters, we kind of stick together like that. And we kind of, you know, so we're very excited to air it on Mossy Oak Go. Uh, it's also on Carbon TV. Um, we've shown the Hunt Channel in the past different things like that. So we're, we're not afraid to air about anywhere. 
you know, but we kind of want to have some loyalty to, to the Masio Go. It's going to air there the first five days. I think it goes there first before we upload it anywhere else. Um, Masio is a great partner of ours at Whitetail Edge, but our show is based on the same thing, kind of like what Illusion Systems and Deer Society is about. It's about educating people, trying to show what works for us. You know, are we always right? No. You know, we're going to show some unsuccessful hunts too this year on our new shows, but we're trying to more or less teach the public how to be a better deer hunter. You know, the things that have worked for me over the years to to be successful in harvesting the type of animals that I have, you know, the, the, the booners and the just nice deer, good deer. Uh, it's not all about just harvesting the biggest buck of your life, but, you know, in all honesty, that's my goal every year is to harvest the biggest buck I can harvest. It just is. That's what I like to do. That's my challenge. And I'm not afraid to say that. I'm, you know, people can call me a horn hunter all they want, but um, I've shot so many deer in my life that I, that's what I like to do. I mean, that's my challenge is finding the biggest deer I can find, hunt it, and be successful. Am I always? No. And sometimes the biggest deer I can find isn't even a giant deer, but it, that's the biggest one I have to hunt. So that's what I hunt. Well, and I think that's the misconception, you know, when people want to point fingers and say, oh, you're a trophy hunter, or you're a horn hunter, you know, they have this mindset where, oh, you're just trying to shoot the biggest deer so you can, you know, hold it and show it off and post a picture on Facebook or social media when it's not really about that for a lot of guys, like you talk, yeah. it's about that challenge, you know? Yeah. And it is, and, and you're right. I mean, and for, there is a lot of guys that that is all it's about. It's about the, they want to be popular. Um, for me, it was kind of a demise. Like when I first started filming for the juries, to me, it was all about, okay, I got three kids at the time. We had, you know, we have five now, but at the time I had three little boys. And so, you know, starting a new business and just, you know, being self-employed and, you know, I wanted my wife to be a stay-at-home wife, you know, as long as she could to raise the children. And so we were a one family income. And so anything that I could do at the time to offset the cost of my habit of hunting was perfect for me. So I was more than happy to, you know, work with the juries and get free products and, you know, get a little income at times when it, you know, when it worked out. And so I was very grateful for that for many years. You know, I didn't have to buy, you know, hunting products that I would have normally been spending money on. So that saved my family, you know. I would guess thousands of dollars of, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars over those years that I would have normally had to spend out of my pocket. So it, the filming more started in that sense of like, okay, I'll, I'll showcase, you know, my ability to shoot big deer for, you know, for their stuff. But in return, I got that. But what I didn't realize was what I feel that God had in store for us or that what it turned into like a family like situation and becoming such great friends with the juries and, you know, the team members and, you know, what it turned into and, you know, how great that was for all those years and um, the opportunities that came my way, the other people that I've met through that time, like Jim Tomey, people, you know, that have become, you know, a super good friend of mine and, you know, very blessed to have those opportunities. You know, I don't take any of that stuff for granted. And, you know, we get so many emails and requests now from people, how do we get started? You know, what can we do to... And I really do try to take the time to answer every one of those. And, and it's not easy, you know, and I apologize if some of you, I haven't got back to you, but it's just really tough to answer. But we really do try to answer every message that somebody sends us because I remember being there, you know. Um, so, you know, but it's not an easy task. You know, so many people have a video camera. So many people have a social media account today and sponsors are hard to get, you know. Uh, probably the number one thing I hear is no budget. <laughs> so you know it's just uh it's just a rough game you know no matter how good of a deer hunter you are or it's it's all based on different things today it's nothing like it used to be and all the old people older you know established shows that have been in this business for a long time will tell you that this game is nothing like it was 10 years ago 15 years ago you know, it's a totally different world. Yeah. And there's so many people out there filming and everybody has a camera, like you said. And one thing that kind of stuck out when we, you know, started working with you through the deer society was just that educational platform. And that's kind of where we see, you know, you kind of stand out above the rest as you teach people how to become a better deer hunter. That's what the deer society is all about. So, you know, that's where kind of yeah. you reached out to you. You thought it was kind of a good partnership and yeah, I, and here we are now. We're really excited about it. I mean, cause you know, 
I had seen the infomercials. I had, you know, watched some of the content, but it really made me sit down when you guys approached me. For one, I was honored that you did because I do know how selective you are on the people that you guys work with. Um, you know, I made some phone calls, talked to some people that I trust that, you know, like Adam Hayes that worked with you guys. And, uh, you know, Adam told me, he's like, you know, I think it'd really be a good thing for you, you know, good fit. And so I trusted that and I prayed about it. And also just, you know, the, the research I did, I felt like, you know what, these guys are really on my level as far as like, they're do trying to do the same thing. And all I could think about was like, man, what can we do together? How can we make this better for all viewers, all fans? You know, hopefully we'll bring you fans from our side that you don't have. And hopefully we'll gain some of the, the great, you know, followers and fans that you guys have on your side to bring them to the Whitetail Edge side and become subscribers. Yeah, and everybody has such a unique, you know, hunting tactic and kind of a background and your logging, your timber buying. That was something that really stuck out when I saw your stuff on Whitetail Edge and and reached out to you and, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about that and how your day job really impacts your, your hunting. Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I think how it can really impact is it's every day of my life I'm in the woods. And I'm on somebody else's property all the time. And so I'm constantly, and I'm in diverse habitats all the time. So from, you know, the northwest part of Ohio where it's flat as a pancake and patchwoods to extreme southern Ohio where it's all, nothing but timber and hills or the middle of Ohio, you know, um, where you have crops and river bottoms and some hills or like where I live in Coshocton, Holmes County area where it's nothing but Hills, timber, a little bit of crop fields in the bottoms, you know, but steep, rugged, short hills um, to, you know, really big hills and deep hollows and sharp ridges. And so I get to see all that every day I'm in it. That's my office of my life. And for one, I feel so blessed that I can make a living doing that, you know, working for the sawmill that I do that, you know, I can be outside every day. Um, and then to be able to take the time to implement the deer hunting show into it and be able to experience that. But I think being out there and, and just being in mother nature, you know, every day and seeing what God has created and how the animals use it, it's, you can't help, but become a good woodsman because you're just in it all the time, you know? And so it's like, you know, sitting here with Brian and Adam from Almadai Productions and you guys, that's what you guys do. You know, you are on your computers and editing and things like that every day. I couldn't even think about sitting there and doing that to an extent that they could because, and they probably would feel the same, like walking in the timber. I'm going to walk through the timber in a different way than anybody will, or, you know, things like that. Cause that's just what I do every day of my life. So, I mean, am I a better deer hunter or a better person than anybody else because of that? No, but I think it has definitely helped me become the successful deer hunter that I am because of the things that I just see on an everyday basis. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's, let's talk about that a little bit and, and we can actually use uh, the Ducart's property as an example. Uh, you know, we talked, took a walk on there in the last few days, looked at some of the timber um, that white tails from scratch episode will, will be launching here in the next few weeks. So you'll be able to see what we're talking about, but use that as an example and take us through a little bit of what you look for, you know, uh, from a deer aspect when you're, when you're walking through some of these farms, um, you know, if somewhere, somebody were to ask you, well, what should I do to, to improve the timber habitat for, for white tails on my farm? I know that's a loaded question, but you know, sure. what, what are some of the things you look for? Well, first thing is, is I want to ask you know, I always ask the landowners what their goal is, you know, is their goal just strictly timber production? Is their goal hunting and managing deer along with timber production? Or is it just strictly deer hunting? You know, everybody has a different goal. Some of the people that we buy timber from or look at their timber, it's all about finances. They either are in a rough spot and they need the money, so they got to cut it all right now. Or some are looking ahead and they want to just manage the timber for years to come and hand it down to their grandkids or whatnot. A lot of what we see is where an old farmer has hung on to his timber for years and managed it right. And then the grandkids or the kids inherit it and slice it all down. And well, you know, the minute he dies, which is sad to see, but that happens all too often by people that don't respect the land or care about what they've been handed. So, but typically, you know, when, when I'm asked to look at a property with the hunting and timber, both in mind, um, you know, I, f for one, want to see what kind of species, are in the woods you know what are we dealing with as far as habitat like age of timber um has there been cuts done before 
you know, the topography of the ground, you know, is there water sources, just different things like that, that, so you know what you kind of got to work with and an aerial map becomes a huge asset in that point of, you know, that starting point of knowing, okay, this is where these areas are. I'll kind of mark off on the maps where the mature timber is or like where the oak stands are, or this is a walnut creek bottom or just different things like that. And where I saw the deer sign typically, like where did I think the deer were bedding? Where did I think the deer were feeding? Where did I think the doe groups were hanging out? Where did I think maybe the buck was at? And then kind of implement plans in that aspect of, you know, and I, I try to help the landowners understand that sometimes this isn't a, a plan that you just do one year. You know, this is something that you take steps over the, you know, over a 10 year period to really make a property shine, you know, to the point that it has its best opportunity. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about yesterday, um, was not necessarily doing too much, you know, taking a step back, you know, you recommended kind of on the, on the Ducard farm that they take a step back and maybe hunt it for a year and see how the deer are, are using it before they go in and, and necessarily change everything. That was an interesting point. Talk about uh, some of the things that, that you saw yesterday on, on their property and kind of your thoughts there. Yeah. Well, you know, when we got up in there and we climbed the hill and finally got to the top, you know, I could instantly tell that the side hills were where the bigger timber, mature timber was that was left. It hadn't been ever cut. Um, but then we started finding the fence lines and stuff up through the woods. So basically I explained to them what I think the situation was that the flat hilltops were farmed years ago or pastured. Um, and so the timber on those hills, you know, on the top flats was a lot smaller and younger type timber with some, you know, brush in it compared to the hillsides that had all the big mature canopy timber. Well, there was already, so in my mind, that's a good diverse habitat. You've got two different stands of timber side by side making that transition zone. And as we were walking, there was just deer sign everywhere. I mean, there was beat down trails intersecting, and we found that one hub that we talked about. And I think every ridge has probably got something like that. We didn't walk the whole entire farm, but that's why I suggested, I was like, you know, there is so much deer sign here already. Maybe you need to just back down a little bit on this side of the property because there's two sides of this farm and you know the other side obviously is a lot thicker already a different type of habitat that does you know implement some good food plot situations and things like that that will help it out and some access you know to where on this side with all this timber you know they've already put a food plot in the bottom which is smart but I was trying to urge them maybe not to go crazy and start putting plots all over this side of the road because for some reason, there's already a bunch of deer here, which I think by looking at it, for one, was it hasn't had a lot of pressure. Two, it's got some diverse habitat as it is. And three, you know, it's got food sources with the amount of oak that is already on it. So I was just thinking in my mind, if I owned this, maybe I'd hunt it for the first year being they've never hunted it before and just see what they see, what the deer are doing there. Um, and maybe they'll say, okay, we do need to do something or we're learning that these deer aren't here after a certain date or it's too open completely once the foliage falls off and the deer leave or if we pressure them just a little bit they really freak out so we need to create more cover to where they don't feel as insecure so i think that's just that was why i recommended that maybe they kind of back up a little bit not try to do everything off a map and looking at the aerial and just being like okay we're going to do this this and this because this is what we've always talked about you know and it was really interesting because, yeah, we walked through that that top section. It was a lot thinner. And I feel like I've walked a decent amount of timber, nothing like you've walked. But I didn't notice the mature timber, young timber line. And for you to be able to kind of like look back in your mind and like play out what happened there, maybe it was pastured or whatnot. And then we actually saw, you know, that fence line and that confirmed. But that's kind of cool mm -hmm. just to see, you know, that experience come through when you walked through that property. That was pretty sweet. Let's dig into what you mean when you talk about that hub that you saw and, and you mentioned these different doe groups or hotel rooms as you refer to them. Um, just walk us through your process on, on thinking about that and seeing that hub there and how maybe somebody listening could relate that to their own property. Sure. Well, what I've noticed, especially on, on you know, topographical type terrain that has some elevation to it, whether it's bluff country or mountains with benches or, you know, I've noticed a lot where the deer, um, you know, on these top ridges, there'll be trails that lead either, you know, half the hillside or the top of the hillside, but they lead out to these knobs. 
And you'll tend to see a lot of deer bed, you know, off those knobs just a little bit, just like right over the top of them, sometimes right on top, depending on the height of the hill, um, to where they can look down over. They just feel secure there because they can pop off each side wherever they want if something's coming from, you know, any direction that they don't like. And, you know, when you have multiple ridges like that or knobs or fingers sticking out into a creek bottom like that or something, I feel that, you know, I call those hotel rooms and I feel those are areas that you can go into and you can make a little better habitat on those points. You know, that's where a big old treetop or two laying there makes a great spot for deer to bed by because they already, they already want to be there to begin with. And so if you enhance that just a little bit more, I think those are great spots to do that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what I noticed on this farm was a lot of those trails were leading to those areas you know, and so I think that there's a fair amount of deer already using this farm to bed there. They have something there that they already like. That's why they're there, you know. And so, again, that's why I was saying maybe don't get too crazy and doing too much too fast because you might actually do it more harm than good to start with. So let's let's kind of game plan a little bit. So we're here, we're in late July, August is around the corner, you know, September, October, quickly to follow. What are your thoughts right now? What are you doing? What are you planning for? What are you thinking about kind of this time of year? And, and how will that change as we get into August, September and get closer to the season? Mm-hmm. Um, this time of year, you know, I, I have some, you know, obviously I've got my cameras running, you know, I'm, I'm a Spartan freak. Uh, I like to sell cams myself. And so, you know, I've got cellular cams running in, in Illinois on a, on a farm there. I hunt. I've got cell cams running in Ohio, places that, you know, I'm going to just catch general deer movement on edges, you know, um, to where I'm not intruding the farm too much, but I'm going to catch that inventory of bucks. I've got some mineral licks going. You know, I'd feed a little corn, use a couple feeders this time of year quite a bit just to see, see what's out there, you know, see what kind of prospects are there, what my deer structure is looking like. Um, and then that way I can make good decisions on, okay, some of the same deer have showed back up that I had last year or this three-year-old's back or, you know, whatever. Um, just so I know what's out there, what's available to hunt, you know, and I'm, I'm fishing, I'm fishing, trying to find the biggest buck I can find, you know, on whatever plate, where whatever state I can hunt. And so that's kind of my plan as the season starts to get a little closer. Um, you know, you definitely have to start honing in, you know, figuring out, okay, are you, are they using a certain food source? Is it a food plot that you've planted that they're using? Does this deer just like to be in the timber? You know, is this deer a night walker? Do you only ever get pictures of him close to his bedding areas? You know, those types of things. And once I find the deer I want to hunt, he gets a lot of my focus, you know, I mean, I'll still keep running my cameras on other farms because you never know what's going to show up. But if I find a deer that I really like just trips my trigger, then that deer gets a lot of my attention as far as like, okay, now it's time to get down to brass tacks and figure out where's this deer living? Where's he coming from? Where do I think he's, you know, at most of the day and try to make a game plan, you know, accordingly, but yet not tip him off to where he's going to be starting to get hunted, you know? And I'm sure that has to differ. You know, somebody might ask, well, what time of year do you then go in and hunt that deer? I suppose, you know, it would have to differ based on what you're seeing and what your cameras are really telling you. Yeah, it does. I mean, each deer has a different personality, I feel. And so like you get some deer, you know, like in Ohio, it's become such a huge baiting state. And it's really, in my mind, altered the deer patterns and how the deer move. Um, And unfortunately, you know, for me, I've had to start using corn and bait too, as far as like keeping the deer on the farms. Don't necessarily always hunt around it or over it, but I use it as a source of inventory and as a source of a destination to kind of like determine, okay, I know that he's going to this area at some point. Um, and where do I need to, you know, position ourselves? And I never really wanted to do that. But what I've found in Ohio over the last 12 years is that, you know, the way the baiting has become that I used to say, you really wouldn't ever find a real big deer on a corn pile, but I, I can't say that now because these deer are growing up on them. It's a, it's a common thing. You know, 10 years ago, it wasn't, you know, a big 180 walking through the timber sees a golden pile of corn, he'd shy away from it because he knew that wasn't right. That meant humans. Well, now 
these fawns and button bucks grow up on this from five, six years ago, they think nothing of it. They just look at it as an opportunity to fill their belly or it's common practice. They just think it's natural. You know, their moms are used to it, so they walk them right into this stuff. And so I think what's happening in Ohio, a lot of the age class is getting shot out of the deer in these heavily baited areas. Um, you know, like just in my general area alone, the amount of three and four year olds that get shot because our genetics are good. So a three and four year old deer can be a 150, you know, type deer. Used to be those same kind of hunters would, you know, sit on that corn pile, shoot a 120, be out of the woods for the rest of the year. And it would give that four year old that chance to grow to a five and six year old over the next two years and really become that upper end deer. I don't see those upper end deer much anymore. You know, that we don't, it's so much harder to find them because I feel that hunters are better, the deer are a little different. And now, you know, those four and five year olds are getting shot before they get a chance to be that monster that they truly can become. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not knocking people that do that or whatever. I mean, I've done it with my kids and, you know, uh, clients that we've had hunt with us. So I'm not saying, I'm just saying we've kind of had to adapt with our surroundings. And I think that's part of being a good deer hunter is no matter what state you're hunting, you have to adapt to what the laws are and what the people are doing around you. Um, now what I love the most is when I can find a deer that absolutely hates corn. He's had bad experiences cause that's the deer I'm going to kill because I can kill those kind of deer. Um, cause it takes a woodsman. It takes somebody that can pin themselves against that deer's wits and his, in his environment and know where you need to set up what kind of moon phase or what kind of situation is going to make a deer like him walk in daylight, not to a food source or not to anything just because he knows that he needs to move or he's moving for a girlfriend or he is moving to a food source, but it's a natural food source, you know, like a cut bean field or a corn field or anything like that. Those are the kind of deer I feel are actually funner to hunt and a little bit easier to shoot because they're not coming into that bait all nervous and you know they still know that it's wrong but they come to it you know and so a deer like that's not coming in if you're just picking him off on a trail leading to wherever he's trying to go he's not really as alert as he would be coming into a spot where he knows okay i'm gonna encounter a bunch of deer and i'm possibly going to encounter danger let's talk about so you know Say you find a big buck, right? And you have your target buck and, and you make a game plan and you're going to start to hunt that deer. Let's talk about some of the things that, that you personally like to do, you know, some of your kind of tips or tactics in, in ways that you approach that, whether it be, um, you know, a certain way that you access that deer or, or things that you think have made you, you know, more successful. I know you shot three booners last year, you know, tell us some of the things that you did that you think made you more successful. Um, well, last year I didn't shoot three booners. I, I oh, shot, sorry. I shot three in 2006. I shot two in two, 2015, three in 2016. I shot one last year. Gotcha. Um, and I shot four bucks the year before, but they were all like fifties to sixties, you know? So, I mean, I don't kill a booner every year, but I've killed a lot of booners. Um, and the biggest thing is for one, you can't kill one if you can't find one. And, you know, last year in Ohio, I didn't have one to hunt. I mean, the one I did kill, I killed in Iowa, um, but I didn't have a booner to hunt, so I couldn't kill a booner, you know, mm -hmm. and it's sad to say, but the amount of different farms that I'm allowed to hunt and farms that I lease and different things, and to say that you don't have a booner to hunt is almost makes me want to throw up in my mouth, <laughs> but that's just the case, you know, and I think people, especially the people that live around me or, you know, in my area, they think if I'm hunting a farm, there's seven of them living on that farm. You know, and so I get the, the, the good old property line hunter constantly or the guy that thinks that, you know, I mean, I found just the other day where a guy had trimmed a, a viewing lane across the fence into my field so he could sit on his side of the fence and look into my bean field and watch a deer. You know, I deal with that crap all the time. And um, it, that's just the way the world's becoming. It's all about, I don't know, people are so worried about themselves and what, you know, every, the grass is always greener on the other side type of thing. Um, and I try to be nice to all those neighbors, even that, that exact person, but, um, it's just sad that that's how they treat me. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, people have tried to accuse me of Ben won't let you get a deer bull crap. That's never happened once in my life to where I've never let somebody shoot a deer that's gone onto my ground, you know, but I'll walk my property lines and I'll find corn piles 10 feet off my property lines you know, on farms that I lease or farms that I just manage and hunt. 
that I've helped a landowner for so many years that they're fine with just letting me hunt and they give me exclusive rights or they let me manage who hunts there, who doesn't, you know, and that's still possible today. If you're a respectable individual and a guy that can, you know, get along with people and you treat people right, you'll have those opportunities. They are still out there. You don't always have to pay to hunt, you know, but once I find a deer that I want to hunt, I try to figure out his personality. I like to know, okay, is he a, is he a deer that will come to these fields in the evenings where I can film him? Can I, can I see him before deer season and figure out what he's doing in his velvet pattern? Because if that deer is there in August, you know, into September, typically he's still going to be there come hunting season is what I've found. You know, I might get some pictures of deer in July or very, very early August that are in velvet that all of a sudden just disappear. But typically after I've found typically after like August 15th, if you're still getting pictures of that deer, he's there and he's going to be there. Um, It's just up to you not to do something to tip him off, to make him leave, you know, um, so it's, I think it's a lot of factors go into, okay, but I'm big on, I think some of the things that have made me successful with deer like that is just being aggressive when you need to be, but also being smart of how you hunt that deer and don't hunt it when it's wrong. So you used phase for the first time last year. Right? Yes, we did. What, what was your, uh, what were your results, uh, using, using the phase central system last year? Um, well, honestly, it was pretty impressive. I mean, you know, and that was one thing when JJ called me and talked about it, you know, he was like, I want you to try it first and give us your honest feedback on the, you know, on the product. And, you know, I had some guys on the team that said they didn't, you know, I'll just be honest. I had some guys that said that they didn't feel that it worked that well, but they're also guys that, you know, chew the whole time in the tree stand and, you know, that, that kind of, people can say that stuff doesn't bother them, but when I can smell your breath talking to you, I know a deer can. So uh, it's those kind of factors that, you know, I think people have to understand. Um, you have to, you have to do the system right. And my success, I mean, I'm not going to argue it. I mean, I killed three bucks last year, a 70, a 65 and a 60. Um, so, and we used phase on every sit. Um, we, the one deer come in right downwind. So it's just one of the, you know, I've had many does downwind of us. We filmed it. We were showing these on some of the clips that you'll be showing with people. So I feel if you do your if you do your due diligence and you follow the system the correct way, it's definitely going to help you hunt. Yeah, and that's why it is a system too, because you can't just, hey Ben, here's you know a body wash. Does phase work? Yeah. We didn't use all the other stuff. You didn't, you know, pay attention yeah. to all these details. There's a system. There's just so much education that we're trying to put out there to really teach people how to do it correctly. So they can see the results. Yeah, or, you know, they stopped and got gas in their pickup truck or they ran into Casey's and got a slice of pizza and got the grease all over them. And, you know, know, people really just don't understand how good a deer's nose is. I mean, and are we going to sit here and say that phase is going to completely make you invisible to a deer? It's not. Nothing can. Nothing can. uh, There's nothing on the planet short of God's good graces that are going to make you completely invisible from a deer's nose but you can dupe it long enough to maybe get that shot or to give you that edge or be less noticed to where it's not as alertive to a deer when you're going in and out and doing things like that and i think that's where the phase system worked for me awesome what uh do you use any kind of scent control tactics when you're checking your cameras or you're putting cameras out you know, what's your feeling there? Um, so here's kind of how I'll do it. I run a lot of cameras on the edges, okay? A lot of places where I can drive my pickup truck right to the cameras this time of year. I want to, I don't want to, I feel that deer in those secondary zones, and anybody that's followed me hears me talk about that a lot, secondary zones. And I, I think a secondary zone in my mind is, you know, an open field, a, a meadow where, you know, a deer is used to encountering a farmer or gates banging, trucks, tractors, human human interaction a little more than anywhere else. In those areas there, I a lot of times don't use any kind of, but, but you know, starting in July, my wife washes everything in scent-free detergent. You know, uh, my hunting clothes are already pre-washed now in the phase system, you know, getting prepped. And I'll do that. I'll hang them out, let them air out for a while, and then I'll do it one more time, but I keep them in scentless totes. But my normal everyday clothes are scentless washed all the time. 
um, starting in July. So I'm not wearing cologne when I'm checking those cameras or things like that. But I think you can kind of train those deer, no matter what state you're in, you can train those deer to be a little bit used to that scent or that action or that activity in those areas if you do it the same all the time. Now, if I'm going to try to sneak in there and throw up a deer camera on a trail in between two bedding areas in the timber or in a thick part of the farm, by all means, I pick the day that I do that. You know, I like to either pick a, a more rainy day, windy day that I can be a little more covered up or the, the rain's going to wash my scent away within an hour. Um, but I do use like the phase spray. I'll use the foam, you know, things like that, um, you know, on the cameras, you know, on myself to just try to help keep that to a little bit of a minimum as much as I can. On the topic of, you know, being able to condition these deer, if you will, do you think that applies to, you know, using like four wheelers, for example, you know, and, and, you know, there's always the discussion, do you you use four wheelers going in? Do you walk in? Do you, how do you access these things? And do you think if somebody is regularly going into their spot using a four wheeler or something like that, that they can condition these deer to get used to it? Um, on a four wheeler, I I don't know what to say about that one hundred percent. I think now I can tell you that like if like say for example in Ohio, <clears throat> if a guy feeds those deer every day, every three days on a four wheeler, those deer easily get conditioned to that. Very easy. Um, because I've watched it happen on the neighbor's farm, you know, watch the guy go back there, dump a bag of big tine or something like that off his four wheeler and bang, them deer he pulls out of the field and within 20 minutes there's deer standing on it because they know that's what he's doing. Now, if you're blowing through the timber now, okay. So instance, you know, 90% of the time that's going to happen during the middle of the day when a guy does that, or after he just got off work, you start going in there at three, you know, or five o'clock in the morning and you park that four wheeler and it doesn't leave. They know what's up. No doubt about it. They know what's going on. You know, that's, that's a no, no. They know that that's, same with me going into one of those farms and banging a gate, you know, or if I'm hunting public land, you know, there's some public land I hunt out of state that, you know, I don't have the time to, you know, be there because it's so far away or I don't, I can't, there's no way of conditioning those deer because you can't run cameras and drive your trucks to those spots and things like that. So those are the areas there and the type of deer that you absolutely 100% have to be on your A game. As far as conditioning deer, though, with like a four-wheeler or whatnot, what do you think is worse, driving through a trail with a four-wheeler that's loud, they hear you coming, maybe they see you, then they run off, or an electric cart where you literally pull up around a corner and a deer's 20 yards away and they blow out of there? Well, so I had a hunt V for a long time, and that was one of the experiences I had was like the deer couldn't even hear you coming. And so like all of a sudden you were on them, and it just absolutely freaks them out. Mm -hmm. Like they like, holy smokes, you know, to where like at least with a four wheeler, they hear you coming where I think it's better for like a silent vehicle or like a Rambo bike is in the mornings, like when it's dark, quiet, and you need to get into one of those spots. Or like if you can check your trail cameras off one of them bikes, well, then you're, you know, you're sliding in, you're sliding out. But it's uh, definitely when they hear a four wheeler coming, they know you're there. So they're kind of, okay, I'm just going to stand here and listen to you come. And then I'll figure out, you know, and, and even growing up as a kid, I noticed that if I was on a three wheeler, you know, playing evil Knievel in the back field or whatever, and would go driving through the woods and see a deer, she'd just stand there and watch me. But the second I would stop and eyeball, oh, there's a deer. And the second I'd stop, boom, they're gone. You know, but if you just keep going, they were just like, oh, okay. They didn't see me, whatever, no big deal. And they'd go about their business. So I think it's just a matter of if you play stupid too, you know, they'll, they'll still be there. You know, they associate certain things with danger. It's just like deer know a certain farmer's truck. They just do. If a deer live on that farm, they know when, you know, that guy's banging a gate or how he acts or what he's doing. And, and I've said this in other, you know, podcasts I've done, you know, sometimes I think it's better to make noise. Like you're not a hunter. Because I think the deer are a little more relaxed at that than they are the guy that when they just hear the little twig here, the little twig there, the door just slight. you know, I'm not saying pull on your farm and start banging your door shut because I don't like to do that. But 
you know, when I'm feeding deer or if I'm moving stands or if I'm checking cameras, I'm not exactly stealthy about it. I mean, I've, I've talked a lot about taking a lawnmower or a tractor and, and mowing a trail along the edges of the fields if I want to move a stand and I'll leave that tractor run and just let it sit there and run the whole time. And I'll maybe jump in the woods 50 yards if I'm trying to catch a, you know, or even farther if I'm trying to catch a deer coming out of a bedding area to an open field to feed and I want to get in there and set up on him, I'll try to leave that tractor run somewhere or let one of my kids drive that tractor mowing the grass out there somewhere to make that distraction to give me that time to slide that stand in there and hang it. Um, but it really is effective if you're hanging on the edge of where you can mow. Like if you've got a good edge source where those deer are coming down the edge out of a woods and you mow that trail or you're you know making a commotion there, 90% of the time, they don't even know what you did if you hung that stand and then you mow your tracks right back up or make that sound. They just think it was the farmer in there messing around. They don't really think, okay, I'm being hunted. Yep. To where when you slide in there in your pickup, you make a little few tinks of sound out of the metal, getting the stand out of the truck, you're sneaking through the timber and then they hear the clinking in the woods 100 yards. Them deer know right then that, oh my gosh, this is not good, you know. Yeah, it, it's interesting. That makes me think of a story one time. Uh, not that not that I condone this or think it worked, but we were hunting in Illinois one time, and and there was a guy in the same camp, and and uh, he was a local there, and we actually we nicknamed him the Squirrel Man because this guy every time he'd come over for dinner or something like that, he always had a squirrel climbing all over him. You know, mm-hmm. he grew it up from a little squirrel, and uh, he he swore that every time that he went out deer hunting, you know, he'd sit on the edge of a field or whatever it was, and and he carried a squirrel tail with him. And he said, he swore by it. He said, I'd let the deer, you know, let the field fill up with deer. He said, you know, get a few does out there. He said, and then I'd shake that squirrel tail and make all kinds of noise. He said, just let them know I was right there. He said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, those deer would look up and they, they didn't see it as a threat. That was, that was his game plan. Now, again, I can't condone that or recommend that to anyone, but it's just pretty funny, you know, yeah. a, a distraction piece. Um, you know, moving on, how do you, how does your, your trail camera approach change as we get closer to the rut and, and as the season goes on? Um, you know, how, how do you move Where them? Where do I from, move them? Yeah. yeah. From so, edges into different areas. Well, as you get into that October phase, you know, of the year, you know, them deer are going to, they want to be on those greener food sources. Obviously, if there's a greener source, you know, a food plot, that, like a nice lush plot. You know, that time of year, I'm going to start transitioning my cameras to scrapes. Um, You know, everybody knows I'm a Black Widow deer lures freak. So um, that's, you know, my game plan. I I start moving those cameras to, you know, scrapes. I I move them closer to the, like, if I got some green food sources or green food plots that I've put in, you know, I'll start putting them on those spots, uh, which I have them on those spots most of the time anyways. But what I notice is when those bucks start moving more in daylight to those areas or checking those scrapes at different times, that kind of tells me the, you know, the mood that they're getting in and when I should be hunting or when I'm not. So that's one of my tactics, you know, obviously, you know, they're still going to be using, you know, they won't use the soybeans. Like, so typically, you know, they're using the beans in the summer when they're good and green, they're eating those blossoms off the beans and the leaves some, lot of people think that they're eating the the beans but they're really not they're eating those blossoms and the leaves they don't really start eating them bean pods till after the beans dry down they go through the yellow stage then they turn brown and the beans drop down and hang that's when they start smashing the bean pods and and they'll be on those heavy you know like in if if beans if beans have been planted early in the year and you know you've got a good dry bean source you know early october that's a great spot to be catching deer coming to um same if they're still green into October. If they haven't hit the yellow stage yet, well, then that's a great place to be hunting too because them deer love those green, you know, blossoms and leaves on those those soybeans. Um, so there's different areas. I mean, acorn flats. You know, if you got some white oak sitting on the edge of a field, um, that's a great place to put a camera that you're being very less intrusive. But you may know of a nice white oak flat back in the timber, but just put the camera close to that white oak tree to know that's on the edge to see how much they're hitting that white oak because it could tell you then, all right, they're really preferring this food source right now. I need to maybe get back in there and hunt that flat, you know, a little deeper. And you're using trail cameras pretty much year round to tell you when to go after a big buck, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I have some cameras that I let run all the time, but for the most part, 
I really start firing my cameras up. And, and I'll be honest, I've kind of gotten a little bit later with it every year because I notice that sometimes I get too fired up too early. And as I've gotten older and I mature a little bit more, I've realized that the deer that are going to be there, you know, late July into that August time, like I said, are typically the deer that I will be able to hunt. I've had too many false hopes running cameras too early. Um, it's still nice to have some cameras out there cause you want to play deer hunter. Um, but I think you also can do yourself a lot of damage too, you know, and that's where cellular cams have really changed my thinking, you know, cause the Spartans allow me not to be there. So I'm not in there checking those SD cards every week or every two weeks, or it's sending that Intel to me to where I don't have to do that. You know, so if you, if you are going to run a camera and you want to get some out early, I would say run it in a spot that you're not making a big intrusion into the farm, you know, where you're not really setting those deer off. It's something that they're getting used to or it's on a feeder that they use it all the time and they know you're going to come and fill that feeder. They don't think nothing of it then, you know. So as you go throughout the fall and you travel, like last year you had, what, five tags this year? Uh, last have. year I had, uh, I had four tags last year. So what dictates, dictates when you move to each state? Is it Intel or is it just a scheduling thing where um, you need to hit X Well, you'd state? like it to be Intel. That's your, that, you know, what the juries call MRI, most recent information. That's your, that's your number one great thing. But if you've got a deer doing something and you can take advantage of it. But for me, living that far away from a lot of those out-of-state places, I kind of have to just go by when my work schedule allow me to get out of there. You know, last year we got a lot of rain early, kind of shut things down for us in October. And so I left a lot earlier than normal and I suffered for it because we, we hunted our butts off for week and a half two weeks without even seeing hardly a rack buck in illinois so you know we paid the price by rushing it you know because i didn't have anything patterned being that far out of state and i don't plant food plots out of state and things because i can't really manage those farms they're just farms that you know have crops on them and they're thick and the deer spooky and so you just kind of gotta be a you know you just gotta wait for those deer to tell you okay i'm moving in an area that you can kill me now and so that's where i think you just have to to really watch what you're doing. You know, let the cameras tell you, okay, they're walking a little more in daylight on these scrapes on edges or different things like that. You know, I killed a big deer a few years back called High and Tight, and how I knew when to get in on him was I got pictures of that deer hitting a scrape half hour after daylight in the morning going back to his bed, you know, and it was on the edge where I, in a secondary zone. And that deer never does that, you know. And he was starting, I could tell a lot of the smaller bucks were disappearing off the camera. So he was, to me, that was telling me he was starting to become, his dominance was showing. He was pushing those other deer out of his core. He didn't want them being around those other bucks. And he was regularly working them scrapes. You know, he was working them earlier in the evening and he was working them later going back to bed. So that told me he was on his feet. I went in three days later with the right wind and killed him. Now, did you kill him right on that scrape or did you kill him more? Uh, I knew where he was basically bedding and it was a funnel kind of a pinch that led from that bedding area, doe bedding area to a food source. And, you know, it was a big enough bedding area that bucks and does used it both. But I knew that he would probably be in there, at, you know, coming out of that spot. And I actually I hunted him in the evening first and we had an encounter with him, but we didn't kill him. Um, he was too far away. You know, he just, he was with, he was making rubs and, doing all this stuff and he he went and laid down at a trail intersection where three trails came together and he just laid right in that intersection and he checked every doe that came to that field it was the coolest thing i ever saw and i could only really see it with binoculars and i was filming myself but that deer taught me a lot that night and that's what i was kind of telling you guys about that spot in your woods yesterday it's that perfect spot for that but it was so cool to watch that deer think about that he could have picked anywhere to lay down, but he went where three trails met and plopped his fat butt down right there. And whenever them does started coming out of the woodwork and coming to those fields to feed, he'd stand up, sniff them, check them, push them around, realize they weren't ready, and he'd lay right back down. And he'd wait for the next group. It was the hmm. coolest thing ever. So the next day, I knew he was going to be there, and I killed him actually the next morning. I went right back, left my stuff in the tree, and I actually killed him the next morning from the tree I was in the night before and he actually had picked up a doe and he was kind of following her through that trail. Um, it was really cool. It was like an epic, 
I don't know, just how it all came together was pretty sweet. 180, I think it was a 184, 183, but really cool deer. You know, I, I think that's something something interesting, too. I, I think that, you know, a lot of guys move their trail cameras to scrapes that time of year. And I think there's a thought that as soon as a guy gets a picture of a deer, daylight walker on a scrape, they immediately want to go in and they want to hunt right in that stand on that scrape. You know, I, I think that it's an interesting tactic to think about. You know, it, obviously that would make sense. Oh, he was there in the daylight. That's his scrape. He's going to check it again. And I need to hunt right over that scrape. But I think more, if more people thought about where that deer was bedding, where he was going to food, a lot of these different things and didn't just hone in on the fact that that deer was on that scrape during the daylight, you know, put more into the plan, you know, than just, mm -hmm. just thinking that. Yeah. Now and there is scrapes that, you know, you can easily do that. Like if it's a primary hub scrape inside the timber, you know, like where that deer laid down at that trail, he had a scrape there. He was working. That would have been a really good spot, but I never walked those trails cause I didn't want to lay my tracks in the timber farther like that to where they knew that was going to be being hunted. That would have been the perfect, perfect place to dupe him the first night. But for one, I didn't know that scrape was there. I saw him work it from the tree stand. And the pinch that I was in where he comes out of the bedding area was a little easier to access where I wasn't setting all the deer off. And so I was basically timing it like, okay, I may need two or three sits to kill this deer. I need to be as less intrusive as I can, but he will walk by this spot at one point or another. And, and, and that's the same like hunting the public land or different things like that. You know, I try to use my access. I try to know where those deer are at. Even the deer on the public land act like normal deer. You know, they're, they're still deer. They're still going to breed. They're still going to rut. Some of it may, may be a little more later in the day. They may be a little more less enticed to move in daylight, depending on how hard the place gets hunted. But they're still going to act like deer. Um, and you just kind of have to find those weaknesses in those spots. But the scrapes really tell me a lot about where the deer are, what they're doing, and what kind of buck is there. You know, and I use a lot, like in this time of year, I'm already making scrapes with what I, it's the Black Widow straight doe. It's called straight doe. And I use that urine a lot um, just to get a scrape started and get those deer conditioned to it. And you'd be amazed at how many pictures you'll get of big bucks just walking through there and checking that. And then they start taking that over, you know. Do you prefer, I know a lot of cellular cameras can only really send you a, a photo, but if you're running videos, there's so much more information where the buck oh, walks yeah. in, where he heads after. What's your thought on yeah. video versus photo? Well, too? I love the video. So that's the, so here's the cool thing. And I, um, for me, and you know, I guess it's okay to talk about it, but Spartan is one of our sponsors for Whitetail Edge. The feature I love about the Spartan camera is it has an option where you can set your camera to photo and video. And I can be sitting in Ohio and I can get a picture of a deer and on my app, if I want that to be a video, all I got to do is hit the video button at the bottom of that picture and it will download the video of that deer. It will go back into its memory and it will turn that picture into the video of that deer for 10 seconds. It's the most awesome thing ever. Hmm. So like I've had instances where I was like, is that the deer that I think it is? Boy, it sure does look like a different deer, but I can't tell for sure. I'll hit the video button. It, sometimes it'll download in 10 minutes and sometimes it takes 12 hours, but eventually I'll get that video clip to determine and it'll tell me what deer that truly was, or it's a cool clip. I mean, you can hear the antlers raking in the, you know, the video, the audio quality is so awesome and the picture quality is great. So it's really made, I, I run them on photo video all the time and uh, that's what I run them on. That way I can request that if I want it. You know, because you might even, you get a bobcat walking by, you get something that you want, something different. You know, it's pretty neat. Um, but same with like regular cameras, like the Browning regular trail cameras, you can, they have a video option, you know. And so I think on scrapes, video is a good mode to run them in. If you're just trying to capture that, you know, I put them on like a rapid fire. If you're just trying to catch that buck in a good trail system where they're coming through fast. I put it on like a rapid fire to try to, and I angle it steep down the trail so you can get multiple pictures. No matter what, you know, if it's a cell or an SD cam. Makes a lot of sense. What, uh, you know, so I heard you mention yesterday, you know, they, that you have been able to gain a lot of knowledge and that's, 
you know, hunting these leases and different smaller pieces of property and different, different properties where, you know, maybe sometimes you can't do anything on it. You can't plant a food plot. You know, I, I relate it to guys who just gain permission from somebody yeah. or, or have a small piece of land and even a piece of land that might be a little pressured. How do you approach that differently than a piece of, you know, ground that you hear everybody talk about all the time that's privately managed and, and things like that? Well, you know, I approach it, I guess, in the sense of just I do my homework, figure out what's there to begin with. And sometimes these farms won't have anything on them till the rut, you know, or till that pre-rut time where these bucks are cruising through it. You know, we'll get – and even even this time of year, they still might walk through those properties. and You might get their pictures, but you may know that they're not bedding there because it doesn't have the prime habitat, and you can't make it the prime habitat. Um, but you can use that piece of ground to be that – key or that piece of the puzzle that you know when that deer is on his feet he's going to be walking through that piece to get to the other piece or this food source on the neighbors or things like that so you know i'm not afraid to to hunt them smaller tracts of ground or you know things like that so that's one of my tactics too you got to be a lot more stealthy and smart about how you hunt those pieces or enter them because they are smaller or they're even if it's a big parcel that you can't do anything to um, you just need to hunt them in a little different fashion, know where the deer bedding, are they feeding at all on that parcel on something natural, you know, looking for apple trees, you know, browsing areas where a different type of forb or clovers are growing, or did the farmer mow a pass somewhere and, you know, some new vegetation is growing in that spot. That's a little attractor for those big bucks. And, you know, people will find that a lot of these big, big deer will live on a farm like that more so than they will a farm that's strictly managed to the hilt for big bucks because it's got 25 food plots and you know all the food sources and all this and that well that farm's got way more deer on it than the farm that doesn't get the management and truthfully those big giant deer they don't want to look at all those other deer they just don't they don't like that pressure they don't like dealing with that so they'd rather be somewhere where maybe they're going to deal with a little more hunting pressure than they are the deer pressure i feel almost because we've all heard about those farms that you know, we know them. We know where those farms are. Everybody's got the story of why does every year somebody shoot a buck off Ethel's farm? You know, a big giant buck every year gets shot off that farm. They hunt the crap out of that place. Well, it's probably a thick, nasty place. Nobody can manage it. She lets everybody hunt it, and but it don't have the amount of deer on it. But it's always got a big buck on it. Well, just think about those factors of why. And you'll probably soon realize that, dang, Maybe that is why, because all the deer over on the neighbors over there where they're doing all this management and that's where all the does are at and that big buck don't want to deal with that. You know, all the does and the young bucks and this and that. Now he will go to that managed farm during the rut and you'll see it on TV all the time where these guys that are managing 2,000 acres finally shoot a big giant 200 inch deer on those farms. And, you know, some of them just live there too because they have enough habitat. Um, but, you know, it's hard for the everyday guide or to be able to relate to that. And so that's what I'm saying. Don't be afraid to hunt. I mean, I've killed a couple of booners on farms that other people could just hunt, you know, and hunting against those people at the same time. And there's booners living there, you know, so like, don't be afraid to do that. You know, a lot of people think now that, Oh, well, if I could hunt the farms that Ben rising hunts or all the ground that he has wrapped up, I could kill a big buck too. You know, well, people don't realize my past and how long I've been shooting big deer and where I started shooting big deer. And now that I got all these farms that I can manage and stuff, I have less big deer now than I ever did. So I'm starting to change my view on how crazy I get with what I do to these farms. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, JJ, I know you've had some experiences too, you know, shooting big deer on farms that, that you weren't the only one hunting and dealing with some other people and pressures. And Well, I think, yeah, just that diversity and what deer prefer throughout the year, you know, early mm -hmm. season food and then bedding and then they're looking for the does and almost impossible to have all of that on one property yeah with the security with you know the sanctuary so it's you know having different options a property that's just a big timber nobody touches or you know maybe a high highly managed food plot area i feel like those bucks use them during different times of the year like you said and that's probably why they show up on certain properties and mm -hmm. get shot and whatnot but yeah good deal well we're running out of time here we're going to wrap things up one last question for you ben uh after you shoot a deer, uh, what's your favorite way to prepare it? How to eat it? Yeah. Well, 
You, you told us yesterday, I said, what's your favorite food, Ben? You said meat. Meat. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm not fond of the big old rutten bucks. I'm just not. I, I, I will admit that. You know, the back straps are still good. But typically, we turn most of that, of an old buck, into to jerky or, you know, something, trail baloney that we can take hunting with us, yep. things like that. My favorite deer to eat is a, is a, you know, young doe. That's my favorite one. And, I mean... I am a backstrap guy. I mean, I, my favorite way to cook them is just straight on the grill. That's just me. That's how I like them. That's how my kids like them, and that's how we like to eat them. Well done, right? Yeah. We, well, not really. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> rare, medium, rare. Yeah, not, so it's not, not, not well done. <laughs> well, Ben, we appreciate it. Thank you for being on. Uh, guys, get used to seeing Ben's face. He's, you're going to be seeing him in a lot of Deer Society stuff moving forward. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you download the Deer Society app. It's free on the Apple iTunes Store and Google Play. And if uh, you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll have uh, we'll have some more podcasts coming your way, and season's right around the corner. So get ready and good luck. <laughs>